The Athletic. So the World Cup kicks off this Sunday in Qatar and frankly, a lot of people are still confused. Confused about how we've got here with the Winter World Cup and confused as well on how to feel about it. So today, uh, the Athletic's Deputy Editor, Laura Williamson, the Editor-in-Chief, Alex Kajelski, and Investigations Writer, Matt Slater, are alongside me to discuss it all. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. It could have made it uncomfortable for Blatter at that election, and he pulled out. Let's go FIFA! Let's go FIFA! Thank you! Mr Blatter, you can carry on as FIFA president. Call the dogs off on Qatar. You were the first premiership footballer to do shoots with gay magazines like Attitude, to speak openly about your gay fans. But now it's 2022, and you've signed a reported £10 million deal with Qatar to be their ambassador during the FIFA World Cup. It's like, well, we have to respect the Qatari's culture. And again, from personal point of view i'm like i'm not a culture that's just bullshit came out with the quote about there'll be safe houses for lgbt and female fans it's mad (laughs) it's absolutely mad let me ask a very simple question to start with when someone says to you alex are you looking forward to the world cup how do you answer i kind of make this funny little squishy face um because i because i am right i and i do think that once the football starts it will be impossible not to enjoy that element of it and it's also okay to enjoy that part of it i just wish it didn't come with everything with this like massive asterisk i suppose um and i've written a piece that's for wednesday morning about like well how do we do this as the athletic it's quite it's quite complicated right the whole staff wants to know how do we get people excited about football whilst also sort of having some moral responsibility? And it is tricky, but I do feel I found this kind of calm place now of like, right, you can do both. Like it's okay to go, wow, did Lionel Messi really do that? That was just incredible. And also have writers out there digging and digging and holding people to account and questioning why Hugo Lloris thinks it's okay to turn a blind eye to LGBT rights and other things like that. Uh, I'll come on to that in uh, in just a moment. Laura, when uh, when someone says to you, are you looking forward to it? What do you answer? Um, <laughs> everything is, everything is so, everything's um, so caged. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm really conflicted. I'm, I'm, I'm going for the duration of it. I've settled in my mind that that's the right thing to do. But at the same time, it, as Alex mentioned, everything comes with an asterisk. And it's been a real moral dilemma as to you know whether I should go um, as a woman. Um, and I've reconciled with, yes, I absolutely should, because I want to I want to see it and I want to to see what it's like. And then as an organization, we've, I mean, way back, Alex, isn't it? We've wrestled with how do we cover this? Do we go from one extreme of let's ignore it? Um, let's pretend it's not happening. Um, do we not mention the word Qatar? Um, do we fully embrace it? Um, and I think again, we've it's been a long, it's been a long period and lots of conversations, but I think we've come round to the fact that um we've we've got to be there and we've got to embrace it and we've got to ask the questions that that need to be asked. And that's how I feel personally as well. 
But what what about when somebody said to you four years ago, Alex, are you looking forward to the World Cup in Russia? What about maybe two or three years ago? When was it? No, last year. Are you looking forward to the Winter Olympics in China? Did you enjoy the Summer Olympics in Beijing? What about the next World Cup in America? Yeah. You know, did you enjoy the Joshua fight in Saudi Arabia? You know, do you go shopping at Sainsbury's? I mean, it is. I mean, it's like uh, it's it's it is complex. It is complex, but also our job as journalists is to make sure that people who care about this stuff are well informed. And the Newcastle takeover was such a perfect example where we, and we still do again and again and again, will raise issues. And so that listeners or readers can go, right. Okay. I am now as fully informed as to why this situation is happening. What, what, how did we get to the situation where Qatar is hosting the world cup? How worried should I be? It's not for us to tell people what they have to think. We just have to present everything and to keep digging. And I think that's especially important once the football starts, because I'd actually argue that's the most dangerous bit, which is where Qatar might win as such, is everyone does start talking about Messi and Harry Kane's hat-trick against Argentina in the final. And that's when the other stuff might get forgotten. But yeah, every, every time these moral accompanying issues, which seems to be almost every sporting event on earth these days, comes up, I think it's our duty to tell people how it happened, why it's happened, and if there's anything that they need to know, then they're grown-ups and they can make their own minds up. Um, I, did, I did an event with students last week, Laura, uh, at Leeds Trinity, about about sport media, but mo- the majority of their questions were about um, this event, were about this World Cup, what it feels like to be going to cover it, uh, what, are, what are the feelings behind it, should it be going ahead, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One question I was asked was... Are there more questions about this world going into this World Cup than there were, say, of going into going into the Russian World Cup or the Chinese Winter Olympics? Um, do you think there are? And if so, why? I think there are. One key difference with this World Cup is we've known it's coming for a really long time. Um, and obviously the changing schedule. I mean, who knows would have thought we'd end up with a World Cup in November. Um, but this has been a this has been a really long time coming because the, the way they awarded two competitions at the same time. Um, whereas, you know, London had seven years notice. Um, Qatar have had a lot longer. And I think also, and I think this is a general point for sports journalism as well, I think people are more questioning. Readers, listeners are more questioning than they were. I remember covering the World Athletics in um, in Moscow in 2013. Um, and obviously the world was a different place then. Russia was a different place politically. Um, but, you know, there was not even a question that um, any athletes would boycott that. There were, there were you know, I, I wasn't really given a safety briefing before I went. It was, it was just a very different place. Um, and I think, I think ultimately that's a positive that readers and listeners are more demanding and, these big issues are um, deserve to be covered, and they are demanded that they get covered. Um, and I think also we're more questioning as a media, to be perfectly honest. And I think with China and Russia, with no disrespect to the Winter Olympics, but the Football World Cup is the biggest sporting event in the world by a long, long way. Just look at the numbers. So therefore, the scrutiny is going to be higher. So yes, there have been more questions. And with Russia, and I, I don't know how I feel about this bit. 
Russia was viewed as a footballing country, wasn't it? They got to the semi-finals of the 2016 Euros, unless I'm completely misremembering. Mm, and yeah. I felt I felt like people went, right, this is the first World Cup hosted by a country who hadn't really been at the World Cup before. Do they have any sort of uh, gravitas in that world? And are they only getting it for nefarious reasons rather than footballing reasons? And I think that also has added to the questions. And on those reasons, Matt... What, why why over the intervening 12 years has has nobody, or maybe they have tried, you can tell me, why have they tried not to take the World Cup off Qatar simply because of how the process went? They have tried right from the beginning. Um, I know people in the room when uh, Qatar's name was pulled out of the envelope just, you know, literally couldn't believe it. And... There certainly was a view, I think particularly among the American camp who came second and were the favourites, that this just couldn't happen and that FIFA would come to its senses, be it the weather, um, just the amount of infrastructure that needed to be built. And I think people in the American bid thought this was coming to them at some point. You know, I think that that feeling passed and I think it passed uh, for a few reasons, one one's really important. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Netflix documentary now because if people haven't seen it, they should. It's very good. It's called FIFA Uncovered. There's no new lines in there, but it's just very very good in explaining the story, reminding people. And one of the key early stories was that Qatar and FIFA did a deal pretty pretty early with Sepp Blatter. Sepp Blatter did not want Qatar to host the 2022 World Cup. He wanted America. But what he really, really wanted was to remain FIFA president. And there was a Qatari vice president of FIFA, the, the boss of the Asian Football Confederation, Mohammed bin Haman, who really wanted his job and had the wind in his sails. And there was a sense that Qatar, having the World Cup, he being the coming man, he had been very loyal to Blatter before that and he thought it was his turn had a chance in 2011. There was going to be a FIFA presidential election in 2011. It's pretty clear now that Qatar told Mohammed bin Haman to pull out. Now, he'd already made a big mistake in trying to effectively bribe an awful lot of voters in the CONCACAF region in the Caribbean. So he was in trouble. He'd sort of been suckered into a bit of a, a bribery trap by, by Blatter. But it could have made it uncomfortable for Blatter at that election. And he pulled out. The Emir effectively told him to pull out. Blatter, Mr. Blatter, you can carry on as FIFA president. Call the dogs off on Qatar. So that's that's the first thing. I think the second wobbly moment for Qatar was after a series of media reports, Sunday Times, Wall Street Journal and others, some of it from leaks, some of it from whistleblowers. There was, a, there was a, again, momentum built up in about 2013, 2014 that, hold on a minute, you know, FIFA, you cannot ignore this, this drip, drip, drip of stories around the, the process, you must investigate. So they set up an independent investigation by a guy called Michael Garcia, who was a US judge. He was working for the Ethics Committee and he did an investigation. And uh, this is a long and boring story. They, they kind of fudged it. A, a report came out, didn't come out. They published a summary that Michael Garcia then disowned that FIFA had almost summarized his report wrong. We then had two or three years of fighting about would we ever see this report uh, in the end, German paper build got hold of it and then said, we're going to publish it tomorrow. And then FIFA went, all right, fine, we'll publish it. Now, that took about three years. That took about 2017. When we saw that report, having thought, is this it? Is this the moment? No. 
Michael Gossier did not find enough. He found wrongdoing by all the bids, by the way, us, England, Australia. And he found that, you know, Qatar had played the game, had been a bit cute, they'd been a bit smart. And, you know, they got wraps on the knuckles, but not enough. Not enough to redo the process. Not enough for FIFA to stand up in a court of law and say, they cheated, they breached the contract, we can take it from you. And then I think the final wobbly moment was more around would they be forced to share it? And that was when Saudi, UAE, their neighbours said, this is ridiculous, we don't like Qatar, uh, we're basically going to try and crash their economy. And, and, and they failed. You know, Qatar again held on. Three years later, boycott's over and it's theirs. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hello there. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, I'm James Richardson and every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. The current FIFA president is Gianni Infantino, Laura, who uh, said um, uh, would like us all now to focus on the football. Although, interestingly, our very own Adam Crafton in the last half hour has, has put a clip up of Infantino at the G20 event in Bali. So my plea all of you is to think on a temporary ceasefire for one month for the duration of the World Cup or at least the implementation of some humanitarian corridors or anything that could lead to the resumption of dialogue as a first step to peace. So on the one hand, he wants us to focus on the football. Secondly, he's just brought football into a war in, in Ukraine. I mean, those those comments the, the other week about you know stick to the football were just just so misguided. I, you know, this is off the back of his little jaunt um, to Indonesia in the wake of the horrors that happened there when he was photographed handing over shirts and having what? a kickabout on the on the, in the stadium. It was absolutely absolutely yeah. disgusting disgusting behaviour. And and now now he's going for the Nobel Peace Prize with trying to replicate what. You know, sensibly should happen for the Olympics that uh, everyone shakes hands and gets on with it for for two weeks. Um, I mean, it's he just wants it all, doesn't he? Um, you know, this 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 tournament is there. He is a man who spends a lot of time in Qatar, um, and he wants it to go as smoothly as possible. So, you know, from his point of view, it'd be all nice if we all just shut up and um, concentrate on the football. You you put that quote in your piece, Alex. Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely. I find. Oh, I just find it so infuriating. I mean, he's, you know, good for him. Like he's hitting the uh, important tick box of being of uh, being a hypocrite, which you sort of need to be to run these organizations, it turns out. And, and it's worse coming from him. Like we can talk about players and managers and what they should say, what they shouldn't say at some point with, with pleasure. 
but this is the guy who is supposed to represent the football family and everybody's welcome, right? Everybody's welcome apart from the people who aren't. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what he's doing getting involved with Russia and Ukraine. I guess he just, he's also, the Ukrainians are really angry with him, right? Over many things down from the way that all the Ukrainian teams have lost their players to the fact that they don't think uh, Iran should be in the World Cup. So there's a lot of... Uh, well, interestingly on that, and, and this this is also part of the, you know, focus on the football. My follow-up question was going to be actually on Iran, which was, I was talking to Gareth Southgate last week after his England press conference, after he'd announced the squad. And this is the most, uh, what pu- it's certainly public-facing, socially aware England manager and England men's squad that we have, that we have ever had, I, I would argue. They're more than happy to talk about societal issues and, and stand up for, for what they believe is right. It it did jar on me, I don't know what you think, Alex, in that press conference when Gareth Southgate was then asked a question about whether Iran should be in the World Cup because they are sending arms to Russia to be used in the war against Ukraine. And he answered it very well, but, but that strikes me as going another level beyond really what he is there to talk about. Is that fair? Maybe. Uh, I have always been incredibly impressed with what I think is a strange job as England manager. Like you're just asked about everything, right? You're asked about the general election to the war, to this, to that. And I think that like Southgate has chosen in the past to be quite front foot about about these things. And I, I've been really, really disappointed, particularly from LGBT point of view, okay, as a gay man, I guess I'm biased on this issue. But the lack of support from him and the England team, like, I've lost quite a lot of respect o- over it. I, I find, I think if you're going to set yourself up as somebody who stands up for, you know, what is right, um, great. But don't just stop. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to Qatar. I wouldn't feel comfortable going to Qatar. And nothing that Southgate or the FA or FIFA has said gives me any confidence that people actually care. So what for you, what should they do then? I think at the absolute minimum, say, we think it's awful that women, LGBT people, migrant workers have been have been and continue to be treated this way in this country. And they keep saying they've been educated and they've read on it, but say, well, this is what we found out. Yes, we feel uncomfortable that these things exist and we want to shine, help shine the light on it by raising it. That hasn't even been said at all. It's just been this kind of weird, we're definitely going to find out, we're definitely going to read up on it and then it all goes a little bit quiet. I find that pretty lazy, I think, or maybe just getting stuck in some sort of political world where they don't want to offend FIFA, but come on. Like, how, how, did, how do you think that feels for people who feel that they can't go out there or feel that they're not represented to have sorry it's difficult like f- football is so political now football is full of like look at the premier league and I, I mean this in a good way like there are so many different focuses on things during a normal premier league season whether that be rainbow laces whether that be kick races matter football um loads loads of other things across like a massive massive spectrum and when it comes down to the really 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 high profile important bit when someone says well, how do you feel about Qatar? They just swerve it. And I just, it just sucks. Just that's, it just feels horrible. 
And I noticed somebody from the Welsh FA um, was asked about this the other week, and it was obvious that they'd done a lot of research into it, um, but then came out with the quote about there'll be safe houses for LGBT and female fans. And I just... <laughs> just that, that's that's where we are it's mad it's mad <laughs> it's absolutely mad um i've i don't i don't feel as strongly as alex in terms of i feel southgate does tend to um stick his head above the parapet on 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 many issues and he is asked about a lot of these issues in terms of iran i mean it it's one for the fa to take up with fifa and they're not going to do that. <laughs> They're absolutely not going to do that. Um, you know, the same organisation that have signed a memorandum of understanding with Qatar. Um, you know, they're they're playing the political long game here, um, and and that and that you know that is is going to be a fascinating story to play out. I mean, we've been we've been speaking to women who are who are going to watch Iran, and I just you know the 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 challenges and the the security that that they're risking is is extraordinary. But is that is that Gareth Southgate's place to comment on that? Um, I'm not sure it is. I think it's I think it's one for the one for the FA to take up. Uh, Matt, is it, do you sense this is going to be a whole tournament that is, you know, virtually every press conference is going to be dominated by questions on issues? I don't. Is, is my honest answer. And um, this is not me making passing any judgment about that. Either way, I'm just telling you, based on experience of going to major events, every single major event I've ever been to, as a as a reporter, certainly, there have been issues in the build-up, right? That's, that's, we can talk about London 2012, if you like. You know, <laughs> all I wrote about for a few months before London 2012 was cost, terrorism, security, and the minute the first amazing performance happens, that first medal, great goal, upset, everyone starts talking about football, right? That is what happens. Rio, Zika, the cost of it, things not being ready, Athens, South Africa, uh, World Cup, crime, Russia. Would people be beaten up? Would we be welcome? Would it become a, a Russia fest, a Putin, a Putin show? It didn't happen. Well, it didn't really happen. It might have happened. But you know what? We stopped noticing. We stopped talking about it because there was some great sports to watch. And this is, I guess, what FIFA and the Qataris are banking on. And it's a pretty good bet. It's a pretty good bet. Now, will we talk about it afterwards? I think that's a better question. There's, there's something very interesting on that, Matt, because I I, I, I spoke to, I've, I've talked to Amnesty in the build-up to going over there to be briefed by them on, on the situation in Qatar and the situation with, with migrant workers and human rights issues and so on and so forth. One of the interesting lines from talking to, to the man I spoke to at, at Amnesty is uh, the view that sports washing only becomes sports washing if you don't talk about the issues, which in, in fact brings us back to that Infantino point of stick to the football, because if you stick to the football, then, you know, from my conversation with Amnesty, then you are sports washing. Yeah, I agree. And look, the, uh, the campaign groups who have done a fantastic job for the last decade or so 
um, this is their moment. They know it, right? So if you are in my space, in my little world, um, having heard from Amnesty Human Rights Watch and various other groups on a kind of couple of times, three, four times a year basis, I'm there hearing from them every day. And I don't blame them. If I was there, I'd be doing exactly the same, three, four times a day. This is the moment. Everybody is paying attention. You know, I talked to Alex and, and Laura about this. I've told this story. Yeah, but Matt Norman was paying attention then. Tell it again. If I was a campaigner, tell it again. Everybody, right in this week, the football has finally stopped. The club football has finally stopped. Everyone is now putting their wall charts up, collecting Panini stickers. Oh, right. It's, it's, oh, it's the World Cup. This is the weird thing. Ordinarily, we've been doing this for three, four months, and our, our, the adverts would have been World Cup, summer barbecue. Da, 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 da. It, this has been the unusual bit. It's, it's concentrated right now. So this is the time to talk about these issues. I know it's annoying. I know people should have listened before. I thought it was quite funny when Jurgen Klopp sort of tried to turn it on the media and say, oh, it's your fault for not telling us about it, not talking about it. I was like, sorry. Uh, that, you know, was, uh, that was very odd, wasn't it? You are all journalists. You have, should have sent a message who didn't write the most critical article about it and not about because it's Qatar and things. No, about the circumstances, which was clear. Then this is, then there we are guilty. That's how it is. But now telling players you have to wear this armband, or if you don't do it, then you are not on their side. And all this, and if you do it, you're on their side. No, no, no. It's footballers. It's a tournament. We have to organize. And players go there and play and do the best for their countries. Sorry, Jürgen. Yeah, we tried. We did try. Could have some links, Matt. Yeah, I know. Maybe we didn't tell them well enough. Maybe our stories weren't good enough, but we did try. So... The sports washing point, I think, is absolutely fascinating. And we know we've talked about it in other in other contexts as well. I think the thing about sports washing in Qatar is it's not working. The classic definition of sports washing, it is not working. And that is because I don't think Qatar really saw this as a classic pure sports washing venture. This is notice us. This is a long-term Qatari project to be noticed, to be taken seriously, and to be looked after. They are a small, small nation. They're resourceful. They work hard. They sit on massive resources we know. They're very rich. But they are squeezed between Saudi, Iran, UAE, people that don't like them, people that want their gas, people that might roll over the border, if, if no one cared about Qatar. So Al Jazeera, notice us. US, move your base here after, after the Gulf War. Notice us. World Cup, everybody remember us. That is what they are achieving from this. Is it going to be that, a bit like an Olympics, because it's in such a small concentrated space, does the World Cup show come into town and everything's quite relaxed in terms of in terms of rules you know everything's quite westernized or do qatar enforce their rules and i think where 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 we will still be having um and asking these questions and having these debates is you know fans what, what's going to happen what's a fan experience going to be like because you know as well as i do matt if if that kicks off then or hell breaks loose <laughs> um, and that's when and that's when the the non football questions will dominate press conferences again um and i don't know i don't know what's going to happen i don't know how relaxed they're going to be whether they think this is our moment in the spotlight don't mess it up or whether they think well actually these are our rules and we're going for but that also provokes uncomfortable questions doesn't it of of you know i mean <laughs> arrogant westerners imposing their culture on on 
on a Middle Eastern country, doesn't it? A fine line of what what's culture? Again, yes, absolutely, absolutely. This is this is the thing that winds me up. It's like, well, we have to respect the Qataris' culture. And again, from personal point of view, I'm like, I'm not a culture, right? I like, I, I'm not. I'm just a person who happened to be born a certain way, and I refuse to get like turned into a thing that other that that people have to res to respect their views on me. That's just that's just bullshit. Right. It's one thing to say, you know, here are a bunch of uh, rules in this country, in any country. Right. You're in this country now. Drive on the left. You're in this country. Like, please bow when you're in Japan. It's deemed to be polite. And it's another thing to say, right, these people over here. Yeah, we really think that's absolutely revolting and they shouldn't be doing that and they can't exist. Like too often it gets basic human rights get sort of put in this box with culture and religion. That's not OK. No, no, I, and 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 one of the questions, one of my points there with, with Laura's point, Alex, was more the, you know, where you where you drink alcohol, which me and Matt have talked about many times on, on this podcast, and feedback from you know citizens in Doha who go about their business on a daily basis, worried, aren't, worried, Matt, aren't they about some of the things that that surround Western football? Mm. This has been happening for a while. And I think this is one of the things that I am very, very keen to explore when I get over there. I think it's going to be difficult. I really, I really do, because there isn't a free press and people don't just freely wander around telling strange journalists their, their, their views on these matters. There's no trade unions. There's no political parties. It is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a monarchy. You know, it's an all-powerful monarchy run by the Altani family. Um, but, you know, from what I gather, from what I've read, from what I've listened uh, and heard... Um, there are some concerns, not just about the World Cup, but just the way Doha has been changing, the, the, the pace of change. The population has been doubling every decade, ever since the oil really started to flow in the 60s and 70s. And then they, re then they discovered gas and they became incredibly rich very quickly. Doha's change has been remarkable. You know, a conservative Islamic country has had to invite huge numbers of migrant workers from all over the world, bringing their different cultures and customs with them. And it has put incredible strains on Qatari culture. And they really protect Qatari culture, Qatari citizens. So all these people that come to Qatar, they earn money. They are there. It's transactional. They are not integrated. They do not become Qatari citizens. There are 300,000 of those. Hearing their views, I think, is, 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 is fascinating to me. How do they feel about this? And the World Cup will become, if you like, the, the kind of, met, you know, the better field, but it will become the, the key moment, right? We are putting a party on, okay? So it's not just the migrant workers who we've been able to sort of hide in the desert and put balls around their, their camps and they have a part of town that we don't really go into. This is a party where these people are going to be our guests and all the things, no, Arabic culture, very welcoming. They want to put on a good show. No, they do not want to arrest people. They don't. They really don't. They want this to go well. But this is going to be a party that they are not used to throwing. Well, our American colleagues are already in Qatar, having travelled with the men's national team on Monday. The Athletics' Paul Tenorio sent us this message. I arrived Sunday in Qatar and 
while we are staying outside of downtown Doha, so we haven't really had a chance to go downtown and explore what the main portion of the city looks like, I think the impression so far has been of a country that's still very much under construction for this tournament. We are staying in apartments that were set up through the organizing committee. Uh, we rented those apartments through U.S. Soccer, who helped to create a media program for American journalists traveling to Qatar. And you can tell when you walk into the apartments that everything has been completed recently. Uh, we have stores right underneath our apartments that are just now opening up. Um, one store is opening tomorrow. They were handing out flyers to us for their grand opening. Uh, our colleagues are staying at a downtown hotel in Doha where you can still smell the fresh paint and the drywall uh, from a hotel that opened just this week. So the vibe here in Qatar is of a country that is very much still trying to be prepared for the influx of fans that are coming into the country. And I think that's the one thing that we're trying to remind ourselves is that you know, right now, we haven't yet seen the full capacity of what this country is going to be trying to handle. Um, around the U.S. team so far, we've, we had some media availability yesterday with U.S. coach Greg Berhalter and a couple of the players. You know, they're staying at one of the nicer hotels here in Qatar, and certainly I think their impression has been uh, pretty easygoing. You know, they've, they've talked about trying to get out and see a little bit of Doha. Uh, the players are allowed to explore. There, there doesn't seem to be much nerves at all, at least not about Qatar itself, but rather if there are nerves, it's simply about uh, getting the tournament underway and, and trying to be prepared uh, for what comes on Monday against Wales. So um, I think still a lot to be determined about this tournament here just because we're waiting. We're waiting for more people to arrive and, um, and to see how uh, some of these sites that are still very much being completed hold up with, with so many visitors uh, descending on Qatar. Before we go, as a white, straight, middle-aged-ish man who is uh, going to this World Cup, what what can I do, Alex? Keep talking about it. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you've been chatting to Amnesty, you've been doing your research. When when the football gets good and afterwards, don't just forget about it because think, think of the the people, the the women, the LGBT people left behind afterwards. Like we can we can all turn up there, get excited, not get excited, be shocked, be not shocked, and then the world carries on. Well, for a bunch of people who live a certain life there or have to live certain secretive lives there, there is no four-week period in which it ends. And that's the bit that actually matters more to me than how some visitor from France gets treated, although I appreciate how that person from France gets treated is what will cause the headlines. Yeah, I think keep asking questions, which is exactly what um, I plan to do. With the earlier point, you know, does it does it bother me that, you know, I've got a wide range in linen trousers now before I go out and I'm going to cover up? No, that's completely, completely acceptable. And um, that's that's the custom and, and, and that's what I'll do. Does it bother me that, and maybe treated as a second class citizen. Yeah, really that really does bother me. But I think by going and seeing and talking and asking questions, that's the only way we can navigate through this incredibly complex web. Thank you very much, all three of you. Uh, fascinating stuff. Um, just on a completely different uh, subject, Alex, because we'll end with some frivolity before we go. 
why are Alan Shearer and Maurizio Pochettino answering the phones in the athletic office? Might as well cover the ridiculous as well as the serious. <laughs> because, yeah, because it's a serious World Cup and we take all the big issues seriously. That's what... Um, <laughs> because... Uh, yeah, because we we have somewhat bonkersly launched something called the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline, which means that if people are watching the football and they feel a little bit coy or embarrassed, they don't really know what a false nine is or what the handball law is, they can call up and our team of experts in the office will tell them. So, yeah, I'm supposed to know the number off by heart, aren't I? 0800 Oh, very good. Like you're doing radio you radio. Have I done? Can <laughs> we get, am I going to get like a pat on the back from the marketing team now? But yeah, well done. call it. Ask stupid things. Ask things about human rights and don't be rude. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, dear listener. I watch a lot of football with Alan Shearer and there are many questions that he can't answer. Uh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> he won't be listening to this, Alex. Don't worry. Oh, I'll, send, I'll send him the link. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you very much, all three of you. See you soon. You can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash footballpod. We'll have another episode for you tomorrow. The Athletic.